Lord, how thankful we are that today we could be together to remember what a great God you really are. The difference it makes in our life and our future, for all that, we give you great praise. Lord, we ask that you would help us as we continue in our series that, <clears throat> that we're working on Galatians, and we pray, Father, that you would help up, give us understanding, that, Lord, you would be at work in our life, and that, Lord, it would be good for us to be able to hear the good news of the gospel. We thank you for this pa passage. We recognize it's got some difficult things, but a lot of things that are very clear. So help us through your power of the Holy Spirit to hear the scriptures that you've given us for today. For this we give you great praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The passage that we've been looking at in this passage recently, as you know, we've been studying this passage so quite a long time already. It seems like it. Some people said it seemed like 20 years. It hasn't been that long. It's been relatively short. But the power of the gospel has been kind of the name that I've been using in this because it's reminded us so many times that we need to see the power of the gospel, God working in our life and in our ways. And so we're here in the book looking at the book of Galatians. And for real quickly, I'll just go over just a couple things. Just to remind that those who maybe you're not familiar with, we're talking about the person named the Apostle Paul who had such an impact. He was a very strong Jewish leader who then came to faith in Jesus Christ. He was on the way to Damascus, and he came knocked down on the ground, and his life was changed forever. And a guy who had been persecuting Jew I mean, Christian people was now finding himself as well, working and helping people to come to know the Lord. So it's a great story about what he's done. And so what we've done in the passage that we've been looking at is describing what Paul is going through. And the passage that we're in right now in this passage is a very interesting one. At least it's interesting to me, and I hope that it is to you as well. Because what's happening here is we're going to think about this a passage we think of pastors are always good and wonderful. And that is true. No, that's not. No, I meant to say something else. No. Uh, but it's interesting in this passage because here we've got this wonderful man, the Apostle Paul, whose life has been transformed and everything's going in amazing ways. People are coming to faith in the Lord. And suddenly, what we suddenly have to deal with is conflict. Now, conflict is something that all of us have at some points in our life, some of us more than others. Sometimes it's conflict at work. Sometimes it's clocked with scouts and with all the different things that happens with families and relationships, all the things that we go through. Conflict is part of being human. And we don't always enjoy it, but we recognize it happens. So conflict is something that is, we know that happens for a lot of people. It's something that you realize, listen, in our lifetime, we're going to go through lots of conflict that goes on through families and through people, people you work with, people that you know. So conflict is an issue. Sometimes it can get really heated where people just really are really mad. And conflict can be something that could turn out to be good if you something an opportunity to be able to learn together about what happened. But sometimes the conflict just gets so bad where it just goes like it seems like it's going to go terrible. And so conflict is a big thing. But it's really big because our passage this morning, it's dealing with an issue where you have two very, very important people, two men, that suddenly there's a struggle and it's going to be difficult. What we see and one of the things we've seen many times and many of you have been Christians for a long time is one of the things that's really disturbing for people when you see Christians having struggles among themselves. 
I think we think as Christians and brothers in Christ and caring for one another, and it's so, it's so it's difficult for people when they see Christians that are not maybe living the way they should be living or doing what they should be doing, and you start having conflict among one another, and how easily we can get turned around on each other, how easily it is for start thinking, well, that person, if they only had been doing yada, 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 it never would have happened. But conflict is a thing that we see even among us Christians. We know it's difficult, but there's a reason that God works on that. One of the things that's even worse, though, is having conflict among Christian leaders. Just in the last couple of years, we've seen several things. There were a couple of churches where they had two pastors, and these two pastors were working together, and suddenly nobody knows exactly what happened, but they were like almost ready to kill each other, it seemed like, and it just destroyed the church. You think, how can that happen for Christians who have both come to faith in Christ, they've served the Lord, and yet what happens? All of a sudden, there's struggle, and the church is struggling. One guy finally stayed. The other one left and started another church. And you think, Lord, why? Well, part of it, you know, because the fact we're sinners. And we want it our way. They tell you, you can have it your way, but it doesn't mean you can always do it this way. And so when there's conflict among Christians, it is so hard for people. Because you think better, particularly for pastors and leaders. You expect them to have a certain kind of way of caring for others instead of getting into big struggles with one another. Paul had to deal that long, long before. Philippians chapter 4, you may remember the passage. Yodia and Syntyche. I know you've, a lot of you've heard it before, but what was the story? Here when Paul was in Philippi, he was working, good things were happening, the church was growing, men and women were coming to faith in Christ, and all of a sudden he's gone and he finds out there's a struggle between two women. Two Christian women who are serving the Lord, who are having a good impact, and suddenly, blam, two women, good women, two women who love the Lord, who are serving the Lord, are having an impact, and suddenly they're so mad at each other, it's like, whoa, what are we going to do? And so Paul writes this little note. He says, I'm writing to you, Iodia and Syntyche, saying to you, you know what? I need you, for the sake of the gospel, to deal with what's going on between the two of you. It's, it's not only godly. It's hurting other people. It's hurting Christians. It's even making it worse for non-Christians who look at it and say, what are wrong those people? They call themselves Christians, and they, we love everybody. They say, really? Then why do you hate each other so much today? What do you say? And a lot of times God has to bring us down. Bring us down to be able to say, you know what? I'm sorry. Would you forgive me for the fact that we got in this argument and asking God to work in your life? So it's something that's obviously that we've seen many times and will continue to see, I'm sure, until the Lord returns. But the issue of conflict in our passage this morning is particularly difficult because we have two wonderful great men, and they're in trouble with each other. So notice this passage, if we would. Just real quick on last week, just to remind you. Last week was that thing where Peter was, Paul was going up to talk with Peter and the other people, like John. And it said, when James, Cephas, and John recognized as pillars, they acknowledged the grace that had been given to them. They gave the right hand of fellowship to me and to Barnabas, agreeing that we should work to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They said, hey, wait. Let's not be working the same thing. You take this group, and I'll take that group. You take the Jewish believers, we'll take the Gentile ones. 
And so what did Babel said, good, let's work together. We're on the same team. We're preaching the same gospel. But he said, okay, this is going to work better if you do it this way and we'll do it that way. And so that was a good thing. And that's what leads to our passage, what's going on here. Because what they asked when they came there to Jerusalem, they said, Paul, we want to remind you something. He said, he said they asked only that we would remember the poor, which I made very effort to do, to, do so. In other words, yeah, we, we want to do that too. Whether you're working with the Jewish ones or if you're working with the other ones, the Gentile ones, we're on the same team, and certainly we want to help the poor. That's very clear from the teaching of Jesus, isn't it? So why would that be something that we would want to do? So that passage then brings us into chapter 2, where we come to this thing. And here it is again. It's conflict. Conflict in a major way that's having a real significant, very, very thing for what was going on in this passage. And it comes right here in verse 11. You can see it from here. It says, it said, but when Cephas came to Antioch. Let's stop for a second. Cephas, to remind ourselves, Cephas, Peter, all that's we're talking about the same person. It was very common in the ancient world that you might have three names. Cephas, Peter, Pat, you know, all these kind of names that go together. Well, these are the ones, there's three of them. So Cephas here we're talking about here. First of all, we can talk about Peter, and that here it is. So when Cephas, that is Peter, came to Antioch, and here's what Paul said, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, that's a big deal. When the Apostle Paul, one of the great, is now have to deal with a pre another guy who's a wonderful guy, a wonderful man, when you've got two guys who suddenly are in struggle with each other, then you've got a big problem. Because think about this. It's not just a struggle between two really hard-headed men, which is probably what it was at one point. But what was going on was having such a damaging impact with everybody else. To see two people, Paul and Peter, two of the greatest, suddenly in a struggle with each other, and the outside people hearing what's going on say, Christians, these are the two big guys, and they can't even get themselves together. That's debilitating to a church and to a people who are discouraged and saying, what's going on here? To Paul's credit, though, He's, he's proud, not proud enough, but to his credit, he's willing to stand up and say, you know what? He wants to say, you know, Peter, I really care for you. I'm very thankful for you. God has used in another way. He said, but I want to tell you something, Peter. You're a hypocrite. Nobody likes to have somebody tell you that. But the passage here is very clear. That's exactly what he had to do. He said, when Cephas, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. He knew Paul should, have, Paul should have known better. Paul knew what it was. Peter should have known what was going on. And Peter said, no, you know what? He stood condemned. Notice what he says here. Cephas, again, that name, same name. Cephas, Peter, Simon, it's the same person. He said, St. Peter? He said, you know what? He said, yeah, you're condemned. You're talking to me, the guy that had the keys to the kingdom that Jesus talked about in Matthew? Yeah, that's the guy I'm talking about. You are doing what's wrong. So you have to look at Paul and say, boy, this guy had guts to stand up to Peter and say, you know what? You're wrong. What you've done is against the gospel. And here's what happened is, obviously, is they started thinking, Peter started to get a little bit nervous. Peter got nervous thinking, what if some of the more of the Jewish people come out there and they say me, see me not kind of living the way they expect me to? And so this is a cause and problem. He said because he stood condemned. 
And so this paint, what happens here is real danger. Because right here, if you've got two wonderful men, both men who love the Lord, who are suddenly clashing together, wow, you could have a big problem on your, going on, what's going on in the church. Remember, the church is relatively young at this time. Many of these people are young Christians. Many of these people are people who are Gentiles, non-Jewish people. They're coming in, particularly the Gentiles, are coming in in mass. And many of these people are saying, yes, we're so thankful that we are understanding the gospel and we're coming to the gospel and things are doing terrific, except now we've got two of the top guys fighting each other, not literally hitting each other, but having a problem. And somebody's going to have to do something really quick. And it's Paul who speaks up and said, I want to tell you something. You're my good friend. You were there with Jesus when it was there. I wasn't there, but I can tell you, you're wrong in what you're doing. And that takes a lot of guts for a person to do that because it needed to happen. And so there was a danger that was going on. Paul was willing to say, there is a struggle here, and we've got to deal with it. And he says, you know what I want to tell you, Peter? You're a hypocrite. What you're doing is pure hypocrisy. Think about that. Here is Peter. Peter saying, God, I mean, you, you've got saying to Peter, these are the kings of the kingdom. You're like one of the top men in the whole thing. He says, yeah, you know what, Peter? You're a hypocrite. At that point, maybe you could have a cage fight or something. I don't know. It didn't go that far. But it was very, very important that they figure this out because the people are watching. Young people are coming to faith in Christ. The church is growing, and we've got a struggle between the two of the best guys that we've got destructive to what was going on. Hypocrisy is something we see, and back then, it's the same thing we see today. Not me, of course, but other people. No, obviously, it happens with all of us. And a lot of times, we don't want to even talk about it or think about it. The reality, reality is there's a lot more hypocrisy in our life than we ever think we do. Because we can't, you know, we often think it's like, that person did that. I would never do something like that. Really? You would do this the other way. You would talk with that person behind their, behind their belt when they're not talking. Look what he says. The hypocrisy was real. Because here's what happened in verse 12. For he, talking about Peter, for he, Peter, regularly ate with Gentiles. Now remember, let's stop for a second. The Jewish people, particularly, as you know, they have very important things about what they can and cannot eat. They call it kashrut. Kashrut is a list of the things that you can eat. You can eat this, and you can eat that, and you can eat a horse, and you can eat this, and you can eat an owl if you want to, but don't eat you know, shellfish. And There's all these things that you can eat, you cannot eat. And so it's very important to them. So it seems what's happening here, it says, for he regularly ate with Gentiles. So in other words, Peter has been hanging around with the Gentiles. That these are people, men that have, not, that have come to faith. And so he's saying to them, he said regularly he ate with Gentiles. He didn't have a problem with that before certain men came from James. James, again, was one of the top guys that we would talk about that was going on at this time. James was terrific. As you know, he had a hard time. He was killed and stuff at the end, but he was considered one of the greatest ones that we had. And he regularly ate with Gentiles. He had no problem doing it until all the Jewish guys came into the room. And suddenly, he goes, oh, yeah, you know, I really wasn't talking with them. And, 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 you know, once again, 
hypocrisy is coming in. And he said he regularly ate with Gentiles before certain men came from James. And so what it seems to be, there's a group now saying, you know, Peter, you need to be hanging around with your, your people, the Jewish people. And so he's telling them, really, you know, we're not going to do that. Look at 12, verse 12. However, when they came, he withdrew and he separated himself. In other words, Peter's there and he'd been hanging around, even maybe a pork sandwich or something. And all of a sudden they know that he's doing that. And suddenly, he's in trouble. He said, when they came, he withdrew, and he separated himself because he feared them. Notice, for the circumcision party. This wasn't a really good party you'd want to go to. The point is circumcision party, Not, okay, that kind of thing. So he said, because he feared that those from the circumcision party. In other words, there was a group of Jewish people who probably now were trusting Christ, but they were clinging to what they had what they could eat and not eat, what they could do and not do. And so, so whenever they came, well, he withdrew himself so he wouldn't have to anybody know that he was actually eating the pent sandwich when he shouldn't have been eating it because it's pork and you obviously can't eat it. So he separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Well, what if they hear about it? What if they know that I was eating the sandwich and, and maybe they'll look down on me and here you've got Peter. You know, one of the greatest. And he is like trying to dodge all this. And Paul is going to go right after him and say, you know what? Let me tell you, buddy, what you're doing is wrong. It's hurting people, and it's hurting the gospel. He says in verse 13, then the rest of the Jews join this hypocrisy. In other words, the other would say, oh, okay, well, Paul's doing that. And I guess, I mean, Peter's doing that. If it's all right for Peter, I guess we can do it too. He goes, no, for the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy. Paul makes it very clear. Said, you know, this is hypocrisy, right? You know you're a hypocrite. Because you just told us you've been hanging around with the other people, the Gentiles, and having their kind of food that you like. And now all of a sudden you want to act like you're keeping all those laws. And he's saying, nope. He goes, then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy. And then it's so sad to me, so that even Barnabas was carried away in the hypocrisy. Barnabas? We talked about him last week. He's one of the greatest people we had in that part time of that cu culture. Barnabas? Barnabas is one that got Paul going. He got him going on a travel and all that stuff. Here's this great guy that even he has been picked up with all this and started trying to act like, well, I'm really Jewish, but I'm not going to do this. And he's causing all this problem for the church. He was carried away with their hypocrisy. Now notice again, verse 14. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas, I told Peter in front of everyone, if you are a Jew and you live like a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, and not like a Jew, how can you com compel Gentiles to live like Jews? Notice this page, what he's talking about here. He's saying, all right, you live this way, but you're faking it. You're pretending. You don't understand it. Your, your hypocrisy is now like reaching out to other people in the gospel. When he said they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, the gospel is clear. You can eat the sandwich if you want to do it, if you come to faith in Christ, and it doesn't mean that you're going to go to hell because you were not following your Jewish law. And he's saying and it's very clear. He said they were deviating from the truth of the gospel because you're really saying it's not enough. You really have to kind of keep some of the Jewish stuff at the same time if you're going to really be accepted by God. And, and you know, Paul just goes crazy with that. That is not true. Paul says, I was 
going to be one of the best of the Pharisees and one of the best leaders they ever had until I met Jesus. And now everything's changed. And because of that, he said, I realize that I have a relation with God, not by what I eat, by not what things they want me to eat. It's a relationship with God through faith. And so he said, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like that? Yeah, well, they all wanted me to do that because maybe it would make them feel better. Paul said, that's hypocrisy right there. He calls them on it. And thank God he had the courage to do so. What would have happened if he hadn't done that? And says he called the Gentiles to like Jews. Notice verse 15. We who are Jews by birth, like Paul was, like Peter was, we who are Jews, and not, quote, Gentile sinners, the ones that are not Jewish. They know that no one, notice this phrase, this phrase 16 and 17 and 18, take a tack of going now, saying, going right from the hypocrisy, moving right now into here's what it's about, having a relationship with God. 16, 17, 18, verse 16. He said, they call this Gentile sinners. He said, know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. That is an amazing statement right there. Here is a man that was going to be one of the top guys in Judaism, and now he's saying, you know what? It's not about the law. It's not about whether you ate the sandwich or not. It's not about this. It's not about that. It's about the fact, have you come to a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith? Whew. What a difference that is. And so Paul is saying, this is the real deal. He said, know that no one is justified by the works of the law. Think of how many people during the Old Testament, the law was so special to them. You read the Psalms, I love your law, O Lord. O Lord, I love this. The love is my, fa my favorite thing. All that's important. All that is good. It's all of our, our, what we've had in the past. But now we're in the new covenant. And a lot of things have changed. And it's not because we kept the laws or we didn't eat this or that. It's coming to, coming to a relationship with God through faith. And so he says this way. He says, we who are Jews by birth and not, quote, Gentile sinners, we know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. And we have believed in Christ Jesus, so we might be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law. The law cannot save you. The law cannot save you. Only faith in Christ can save you. That's a huge change in the new covenant that we're living in right now. We have believed in Christ Jesus, so we might be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. It is not by our efforts. It's by God's mercy and grace. If we don't get that into our brain till we know it so well, we're going to be in trouble because that's exactly what the whole gospel is about. And so he says this, but if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Is he saying, why don't you maybe sin more? Maybe that makes things better, right? No. The word they use, absolutely not, meganoitra. Like, no way. We're not going to try to let things go like that. He said, he's saying, Paul is saying, if I rebuild the system that I tore down, talking about he, when he's now away from Judaism, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. For though the law, I have died to the law. Notice that phrase. Through the law, I have died to the law. In other words, the law was everything. He says, not now. 
I've died to that law. Now I have the grace that God has given me. Through the law, I have died to the law so that I might live for God. That's what it's about for me. And then I love this phrase, and many of us have memorized this verse many, many times. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ in me. That phrase, that little passage, is so important. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ in me. We talk about the idea of the union with Christ. Jesus loved to, I mean, Christ loved to talk about the idea of me and you, you and me. John talks about that a lot. You and I and I and you, talking here about we're together. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You can't get anything better than that. It's pure mercy. It's pure grace. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, well, then Christ died for nothing. Remember, there's still these Jewish people who want to hang on to their Jewish heritage. And, and, and well, look, we can do both. He said, you can't do it. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. What's the point of having Christ die on a cross if it didn't have to, have to happen to happen? Why? He says, listen, it can't be this way. What we have in this passage is an interesting because it talks about the struggle between two very good men, two men who love God, two men who got into a struggle. To Peter's maybe goodness, it looks like he kind of backed off pretty quickly, and he realized it was kind of foolish what he had done and what he'd said. And I hope, I assume, that Paul was gracious in the whole thing too, because what we hear is that they continued on in serving each, you know, together. But it is interesting because this passage, and here, very good people, but how easily hypocrisy comes into our life. Think about the things that happen. It happens so many times. Here's an interest from Francis Fenelon from a long time ago. He said this, experience tells us that each man most keenly and unerringly detects in others the vice which was most familiar himself. Ooh, ching, something got me right back here. Interesting thing, saying, do you think about that? My mother's been dead for quite a long now, but I'll use the story real quick. But my sister had a terrible thing about chewing her nails. And my mother was always on with her, you know, are you chewing your nails again? No, 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 really, I'm, I know you're chewing your nails, aren't you? No. And then, then what we found out was my mom was chewing their nails all her life. It's like, don't we kind of call that hypocrisy where you're telling your daughter to stop chewing their nails when you're doing it all the time? So it's interesting to say it's so easy for hypocrisy to come into our life, to have an impact upon us, and how, how much struggle we have because of that. Well, interesting, John Bunyan, of all people, wrote this, saying abroad, Devil at home. There'd be many a woman that probably thought that story and said, yeah, back at the home where he, I mean, where he works, everybody thinks he's just a wonderful guy, but you don't know how he treats me when I get back home. How easy it is for hypocrisy to come into our life. When a 
Kathy and I were obviously really a young pastor at this point, really not pastor, it was like youth pastor. Um, we had a Baptist church, and most of the people were very nice and stuff. And it was interesting. We had, I was working with the young people, and one of the guys was a very harsh man. He was very proud. He wanted to know, everybody know that he was one of the top people in our church. I'm not giving his name, Kathy. Uh, oh, yeah, but anyways. So I thought, you know, this guy was really bugging me, and he was talking about you cannot do this, all the things that we could not do. Cannot smoke, cannot chew, can't go out with girls that do, the whole thing that we couldn't do. So we had to live that way for a long time. And so I was like a young pastor, young youth pastor, and it was interesting that his son came over to me and said, could you come over? I wanted you to know if we could work together in that passage you talked about. I said, sure, we could do it. So we went over there. And we were going, the T was just turning the TV, and he almost knocked me down on the ground. And I thought, you know, that's kind of odd for your dad. And he said, oh, well, Charlie's Angels is starting in 10 minutes. Now, you younger guys don't even know who Charlie's Angels are. These were some very good-looking young women. And here's this good Baptist man who's, like, knocking us over to make sure that we don't miss any part of Charlie's Angels because that'd be terrible, wouldn't it? And you think, you know what? Look at that hypocrisy. You're telling us, but you can't do this, and you can't do that, and you can't go to the movies, and you can't do this. Say, really? Yeah. Why are you sitting there going, look, 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 looking at these pretty ladies? Is that not hypocrisy? And yet, it is so common among us, all of us. I like this. I don't know if it comes out. Uh, it's a, it came out of an article in the paper. It was interesting. I think he said, we want to reclaim, reclaim America's immigration thing. And over if you look in the side, it says, I'll help you pack. Is <laughs> the Indian saying, OK, well, you want us? I'll help you pack if you all want to move. It's our hypocrisy of saying, oh, yeah, we've got to get rid of these immigrants. I just thank God that it wasn't there when my parents were, grandparents were there. I'm th so thankful that I, they got to go to America and I could be here. Real quick, Matthews 23, this real quick. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're like washed tombs who appear beautiful on the outside, but inside you're full of dead man's bones and every impurity. Whoa! No wonder the Pharisees hated him. No wonder they put him on a cross. But he wouldn't deal with the hypocrisy. And when he showed them their hypocrisy, they knew he had to go. It wasn't the only reason, but it was a significant one. And this passage reminds us again, hypocrisy comes into our life in two different ways. And it's so opposed to what God has for us. Question, is there hypocrisy in my life and I don't even want to deal with it? And if there is, Lord, would you show it to me? Because I don't want to live that way. Lord, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for this passage. It's a powerful one. And we ask, Lord, that you would be with us now and help us as we continue to be the men and women you want us to be. Help us now as we prepare, continue to serve you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.